Things are oof, extremely busy, extremely busy. Just got back from South Africa uh, last Saturday and uh, leaving for the U.S. in uh, two weeks' time for a three-month uh, road trip. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, super excited for both the trip itself, uh, driving across the entire United States. Um, that should That's be, the way to see it, I think. I think so, too. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining us today is Jan Siberson, who is notable for a number of reasons, which uh, I'm going to list off right now. He is the current Ironman World Championship swim record holder uh, and began his 10-year stint in the German national swim team between 90 and 2000 while simultaneously completing his studies at Harvard with a bachelor's degree in economics. He then transitioned into the world of investment banking and worked at Goldman Sachs between 2000 and 2002 at both the New York and Frankfurt offices. But then, of course, his true calling called him back to the sporting arena and this time into the world of triathlon. Between 2001 and 04, Jan went to, on to achieve four first out of the water titles at Hawaii. In 04, he set a new world record Ironman swim time with an epic 42.17 at Ironman Germany in Frankfurt. Jan continued to compete professionally in the global triathlon circuit until 2007 when he founded Sailfish. In 2017, still unsettled from missing the fastest Kona swim time by a mere six seconds in 2003, Jan launched a two-year comeback to finally break the Ironman World Championship swim record. And at the age of 43, 17 years after the first appearance on the Big Island, on October 13, 2018, he set a new world record time for the Kona swim at a blistering 46.29. And he still holds that record today. Now, adding to founding Sailfish and breaking world records, in 2009, Jan started the Sailfish Swim Nights in Germany, which are weekly, weekly summertime lake events at various locations to promote open water swimming. In 2010, he created the Sailfish Night of the Year, which is Europe's annual black tie awards evening, celebrating the triathlon community from around the globe. And then finally, between 2015 and 2019, Jan ran the triathlon convention in Europe, and between 2016 and 2021, he managed Patrick Lange, who, of course, is the two-time Ironman World Championship. Jan, that is quite a resume. Thank you for uh, taking the time in your very busy schedule to join us today, and welcome to Endurance Innovation. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. That was probably the longest intro um, <laughs> I've ever heard. And, uh, you know, I heard you smile when you said, oh, he was 43 in uh, in 2018. So uh, you can still achieve great things at 43. See? Well, it gives me it gives me hope in my, you know, I'm I'm 40 and I'll be 41 in a, few, in a couple of months. And so it, it, it still gives me hope that uh, that you know some of our some of our better years are ahead of us and this is something it's funny that you mention it because this is something that I, I talk about with uh, with the athletes that I coach quite a bit that especially I mean you came from a pro athlete um, you were an elite athlete as a swimmer in the beginning but especially for those of us who are you know adult onset athletes our sometimes our best years are well into the 40s and even early 50s because uh, you know especially in long duration endurance sports we can continue to improve and you're you know one of the living proof examples of that you know i think if you if you play it smart um and, and especially from a from a training perspective and for from a you know not not overdoing it on the racing calendar perspective mm -hmm. you know i can i think you can you can race well into your you know at a, at a high standard very well into your late 40s early 50s maybe even late 50s i mean look at look at natasha bartman for example yeah. you know, she, she won kona what six seven times I think seven times, and she's still uh, delivering amazing performances uh, at eight, at 50, 50 plus, right? Right, absolutely. And these are folks, yeah, and uh, as I said, this is even more the case in my experience with uh, with folks who, who didn't race super hard when they were young because then they haven't unlocked their potential until, yeah. you know, later on in life. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. let's, uh, Jan, why don't we start with uh, with your exploits on the, the racing circuit and specifically in your, you know, your, your your speedy race times in the water. And then we'll we'll transition into 
um, some some of your thoughts and some of your advice uh, for open water swimmers and triathletes in particular, because swimming is obviously for many of us kind of a uh, uh, the the hole in our training. And I'll, I'll speak about that a little bit later. And then we'll finish off uh, with a little bit of a conversation about sailfish and uh, the wetsuits in in particular, talking about some of the technology around. Uh, world-class wetsuits uh, so that'll be that'll be the conversation folks so let's start with uh, with your uh, your race success and specifically let's focus on uh, on Kona because uh, you know that is that is the race that everyone's everyone's eyes are on when it's uh, when it's on the the television coverage and uh, tell us a little bit about that that swim course it's obviously uh, you know a little bit of a special place Oh, absolutely. And uh, it was, you know, I don't want to say it was a frustrating place for a long time, but uh, obviously <laughs> it was it was the place that made me uh, made me famous to, to the degree uh, of today. But, um, you know, back in back in 2001 to 2004, I, I raced Kona four times in a row, mm-hmm. uh, three times as an amateur, once as a pro and um, was the fastest swimmer at, at all four events, um, but missed nice. missed the record uh, by, by six seconds. You said it in the intro once. And the other time I missed it by 20 seconds. And then there was a year with, with super heavy waves. So I was like a minute and a half over or something. So, but but I have studied this course inside out. I would I would <laughs> uh, I would say that. And also, you know, also the external factors um, that you know, you the, the external factors that you cannot really change, but you can s- sort of like adapt to them. And uh, you know, there is there is the current. Uh, usually, you have you have the current kind of running out, meaning that uh, you are at the halfway mark relatively quickly, and then on the way home, it gets it really gets in your face. And uh, ah, okay. and so I think my you know this this is something that that you really learn the hard way, I guess. Because a lot of people, a lot, and a lot of athletes in Kona, they they take it out. Obviously, they get adrenaline, and everybody it's Kona, <laughs> and you know you gotta go for it from the gun, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then you know you turn around, and then you've got the current against you, and then you're not in a wetsuit, and then uh, <laughs> it can get a really really long swim. And I think some some hefty surprises have have uh, have um, have been lived there. So I think my my first advice uh, about this is uh, to have a look at the title calendar and see what mm. the tide is doing that's what i always did and so you kind of know what's going on whether the the water is running out or the water is coming in and it pushes you back in it doesn't really ever happen so in 2018 uh it was it was a rare a very rare occasion where right at the swim start at seven o'clock for for the amateurs back then um it was slack tide so right between high tide and low tide so there was no movement and that was very very helpful in in breaking the record um because it was so much easier to pace the whole thing Uh, and uh i remember in in 2000 i think it was 2003 um i was at the turnaround buoy at 20 and a half minutes and then (laughs) you you know yeah you do the math exactly and and you do the math and you think okay the record is at 46 back then it was 46 44 and i was like easy you know 20 20 and a half this way i i I have 26 minutes time to to bring it home it'll be I would be smashing it, boom, and I and I arrived at forty six fifty, and because you're just swimming against that wall, yeah. Uh, so so that's that's a factor. Then obviously waves um, mm-hmm. is 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 a big factor. This before we talk about waves, I want to I want to st- I want to stay focused for a second on uh, on uh, the the current, and this is fascinating to me because you know obviously you know certain races have certain currents. Some of them are in rivers, which are predictable, or some are predictable. Um, but it's it's fascinating to try and think about this because we. Spend a lot of time on the show talking about cycling aerodynamics right so we pay attention to you know how we perform against the wind and what the wind is doing uh but i've never in my life heard someone talk about tide schedules and of course it makes perfect sense but it's just some not something that you know we paid so much attention to maybe i'm in my own little cycling bubble and i don't pay enough attention to swimming which is definitely true but uh it's fascinating to hear you talk about it and in What's what's particularly interesting to me is I automatically I would think that, you know, when you're on the way out, if you have the current with you, um, then obviously drafting is always a good idea. But on the way back, it would be terrific to have someone break that break the water for you, as it were, be, you know, stay on someone's feet. But if you're the first person in the pack, that's not an option available to you, is it? 
Uh, and uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why it's so, um, I mean, for, for me, it was a, it's a different race strategy or it used to be a different race strategy than pretty much for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Because, because, you know, first you have to break away from the pack that nobody follows you on your feet. Right. Um, and that involves a little bit more energy uh, investment in the, in the first four, five, six minutes, or depending on how long it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, especially when you have the current going out, uh, you really want to pace yourself on the way out knowing that you, you you need much more power on the way on the way back home and and I actually I, you know I, when I when I swam in 2018 I broke down the race into four four uh, pieces at okay. one, roughly one kilometer each right 3.8k mm-hmm. and uh, you know I said okay the first kilometer it needs to feel as so super easy that you know you hardly feel that you're it's completely like effortless then you kind of like ease into it for the second uh, half of the first half, and then the turnaround buoy, and then naturally it becomes harder on the on on let's say f- to from fifty to seventy five percent of the race okay. course. And basically, then if you go for a record at, at uh, on the last uh, quarter of the race, it's just it's just all out. That's that's what it is. Yeah, huh. yeah. right. But uh, yeah, it's it's. Um, I would recommend having it, even if it's just a brief look at the at the uh, title calendar, and then you at least know what to expect. Right. Right. Whether you whether you have the current against you on your way out, or whether you have it against you on your way back, or you you're, you're lucky and you find a year where the start coincides with with the slack tide. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. Then you started talking about waves before I cut you off. So uh, what about the waves at Kona? Um, the, the, the waves in Kona, there, there's two sets of waves. Number one is the, the natural waves, uh, mm-hmm. that, that come from the ocean and they usually come a little bit more from the side and it's like side head on. Okay. Um, yeah. and those are actually, those are actually not so bad. It's, they're just bad for, or let's say it's just, um, you have to really, uh, try to swim in a straight line mm-hmm. and, and they would, they would throw you off a little bit left and right. But I think the the way more, in, let's say, in dangerous waves are the or the, or the waves that slow you down are the are the waves that are made by the boats. Oh, and okay. Yeah, yeah, and you know they, they you know, I mean I think they the, the organization they they think about it and but you have camera boats, you have rescue boats, you have sure, all sorts sure. of boats out there, and they all produce waves. And as a swimmer swimming just centimeters above the the, the water surface, I mean any any wave is a bad wave, right? Hmm. Uh, and and it'll potentially uh, slow you down. So <clears throat> then there's nothing you re- you you can really do about it, right? But wouldn't you be able to draft boats that are heading in the same direction? What's the what's the direction of the boat traffic versus the swimmers in in Kona? I, I've never really paid attention to it, honestly. Yeah, no, it's 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 weird. Um, and and it was it used to be it, it was different in the in the early two thousands when there was mm-hmm. one mass start, including the the pros. So then you would have the boats left and right, and they would usually stay there. And you you couldn't draft, uh, but um, no, it was just a nuisance. Uh, getting getting those little waves into your face mm-hmm. and having to to sight again and having to re uh, refocus on 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 your on the straight line. But um, yeah, I mean, those are the, the the two things. I think awareness again, uh, it, you know, knowing that this stuff happens, and you do, just don't want to swallow too much water. Sure. I remember the. I think it was two thousand two. Uh, then uh, Ironman almost wanted to uh, cancel the swim because the waves were so high, and there was a big storm uh, at night. So. Uh, they decided last minute to to do the swim and uh you know it's and i think uh, 300 people or so didn't finish the swim the largest oh, wow. number of people who didn't fin- and and they got seasick and they threw up and and they were out so i think you know it's it's that awareness of it, it can happen and the mm-hmm. trying to be prepared for that um by I mean, I'm not telling anyone now to go out in stormy conditions in the in the, <laughs> in the ocean, but you know, familiarize yourself when it's a little bit shaky. I mean, that's never a bad idea, especially for Kona. Absolutely, no, that's excellent advice. And then, uh, I guess the last nuance of the well, there's lots of nuances, but the last one I want to I want to touch on is uh, obviously, as everyone knows, it's a non-wetsuit swim, um, and it's never going to be a wetsuit swim be- just because of the water temperatures. And uh, speaking as not someone who grew up uh, as a as an elite swimmer like yourself, Jan, uh, the wetsuit is a huge help to especially us, you know, adult onset swimmers. And we'll talk about wetsuits later, as I promised. But what are the you know the nuances for 
for uh, tackling that course when generally most races that most people will do, at least in North America, Northern Europe, are wetsuit legal. And now you're faced with a, a really, you know, potentially challenging conditions with waves and tide, uh, tidal currents, and you can't wear a wetsuit. Well, you know, it, uh, it, it presents itself, or let's say the, the non-wetsuit component, I would say, it presents itself on the second half of the swim in Kona. Okay. Because on average, you're in the water for another, let's say, at least five to 10 minutes, because it's no, it's a non-wetsuit swim, maybe even 15 minutes. So you, you spend more time in the water anyway. And, um, and, and uh, I think proportionally, you know, when you look at triathlon swimmers, it's in the second half of the race uh, of, the, of the swim part when when the stroke starts falling apart yeah uh, and when it becomes less efficient and you know you are you ha- your power input is a lot higher than than in the beginning plus you're spending more time in the water anyway so uh, again it's the 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 pacing component and the and the the importance of not losing too much energy on that first half of the swim in Kona is super super critical. Like no, right. knowing that you know it, it can be a very long way back, literally, <laughs> uh, is is absolutely key and um, and and really keeping it together in the beginning. I mean, it's easier said than done, right? Uh, you know, the, the adrenaline level is beyond real, uh, but but you know to. to and it's different if I talk as a pro versus an age grouper. Uh, a pro who wants to win the race needs to make sure that he catches either group one or group two uh, on the on the swim train. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, if you're an age grouper and you know you can still win your age group by, by and, and if you miss, let's say the, the the first swim pack or whatsoever. So I can, you know, I think my, my best advice is really, you know, you, you should, you know, it's good to to try to warm up decently before the swim, always a good idea, also in the water. Mm-hmm. And then and then not take it out too fast uh, in those first couple hundred meters, also easier said than done. But then find find a nice rhythm on the first first half of the swim then and try to really keep it as effortlessly as possible. Um, and then you'll have a much you have much more fun on the second half. No, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, one last question about that, uh, the the swim in Kona, and specifically your approach to it. When you were clearly, uh, you were clearly going for the swim record, and uh, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you were probably not going for the win of the the race overall. Uh, how do you think about pacing that swim? Is it is it all out, and then and then you kind of just, <laughs> you know, you you don't you don't save too too much for the bike. You're not as strategic with your energy reserves for the rest of the race. What's your what was your thinking around that? Well, uh, in the early 2000s, when I when I did this, let's say for money as a pro and then leading up to being a pro, you know, I did want to finish well. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I knew I wasn't going to win the race, but I did want to finish, uh, you know, in the in, in, in the top field. Um, so my and, and that actually in a in a from a mental perspective it it kind of limits you to go go all out in the swim because your body always says or your mind says look you know there is still the bike and there is definitely <laughs> still the run yeah there's and still some work to be done yeah exactly you're you're a big guy and uh, the run is going to be painful etc etc but in 20 in 2018 uh, when i did the the record attempt um and I, i'll give you a bit more background on the training uh you know i i qualified already in 2017 late 2017 november okay so i pretty much had all of 2018 to prepare for for kona and i pretty much stopped cycling and running in in june so i would i would cycle for about 200k a month uh in if, starting in from from june to all the way to september october that's and a I low would, volume for a that's kona a very low fire. volume for, <laughs> for ironman and at the same time i would run about a 10k a week so maybe mm. like 40 like a marathon a month that that would be my running volume wow. and the rest and the rest would be uh, swimming and maybe you know five six seven times seven swim practices a week but you know i mean your body remembers so you got you have the cardiovascular um, ability to do an ironman that's sure. uh, to to get to the finish line and um <clears throat> so i i always knew that but i but i always had the feeling okay I'll keep it together and I'll, I'll get it to the finish line in a decent, in a decent pace. And that actually happened. I mean, I finished, uh, in a 10 25, mm-hmm. which, you know, for that amount of training and cycling and running wasn't so bad. It was still daylight and, uh, 
you know, I got passed by more people than anybody else on the race, but I bet you did. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I actually did. Yeah. I think that was the record. That's another two. record, I suppose. <laughs> that was record number two on that day. On that particular day. But hey, uh, you know, that didn't really matter. Um, no. So uh, I really went all out uh, on that swim. And, uh, you know, anybody who's watched uh, the little documentary around it uh, sees that I stopped after the swim and I first I celebrated a little bit. And then actually I spent about, I would say, two minutes in the change tent um, and uh, just to like, like calm down again because uh, I was completely spent. I was really yeah, yeah. done. Well, you just did a 46-minute all-out race, and then now yeah. you still had the, you know, yeah. most of an Ironman yeah. to do. But if you're well-trained, you know, you, yeah. you recover, and, you know, you've got all this lactate, but you, but then you start riding easily, and you kind of, mm -hmm. you know, you ride off the lactate at some point, and then you just keep it, uh, keep it together, keep it in a stable uh, wattage, and it's okay. It's fine. Okay. Um, so let's uh, transition to talking about open water swimming more generally, sure. not, not, not so much Kona specific. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, you, you organize these swim events in, uh, in Germany. And obviously this is near and dear to your heart. You, you spend a lot of time probably thinking about it in, in all the things that you do in professionally and recreationally. So f um, let's talk a little bit about advice for uh, effective, useful open water uh, training, uh, and I want to narrow the focus down a little bit to swimmers who are, you know, who find themselves in, let's say, the northern hemisphere, uh, you know, Canada and upper, you know, upper U.S. and northern Europe, where you may only have access to open water swimming uh, three months of the year, you know, unless you're taking very nice leisurely vacations somewhere, somewhere warmer. So how do you how do you prep for races that always happen in open water, almost always happen in open water, where you know, let's say 75% of your training time is spent in a pool. What do you think about how do you structure it? You know, I think uh, as with a lot of things in uh, not only sports, but in, but in life, uh, continuity is absolutely key. And, um, and, and, and that's, I think, this, that holds true for open water swimming as well. Uh, you know, if you look at maybe, maybe it from a, from a different angle and you say, okay, what are the things that go wrong in open water swimming when triathletes attack the open water? Okay. You know, it is, it is usually it is usually uh, you know not well prepared. As in, you know, I haven't been swimming much in open water. Okay, mm -hmm. we talk about that because uh, you know the season might only be three or four months uh, long because the water is cold. Um, but uh, it, I think it, it really, and then and then you add, uh, you know, you, you don't wear a wetsuit all the time, mm -hmm. um, and then you add the stress of let's say a couple hundred people around you at the swim start. And there you already have three like major major stress factors mm -hmm. that can really throw you off in 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 a race situation. So, uh, you know what I, you know what I've created here in Germany, and I know it exists in the UK as well. The lake swims, and and I don't know much about uh, whether it's happening in the US, but you know we get around five hundred people every single week at the oh, Ironman wow. Germany at the Ironman Germany Lake, which happens to be right around where our where our offices are here near Frankfurt. Uh, so that's just, I mean, that's, it's, that's luck. That's a good, uh, good position to be in. But, you know, people always come up to me and they say, Jan, you know, this is, this is an amazing event because you can really train under, under, uh, race conditions. There is, there is, it's like a triathlon start if you want to mm -hmm. start with everybody else. Uh, uh, so, you know, but even if, if you can only find a small group of 10, 20 people uh, to, uh, to simulate um, race situations in open water, I mean, that's something that I would highly recommend. Absolutely. And number two, uh, you know, you look at you look at uh, a lot of athletes who uh, who have a decent performance, swim performance in the pool. And then once it gets to open water, you know, it starts falling apart. And you wonder, you ask yourself, you know, why is this? Uh, and, you know, you're perfectly fine in the pool. And then there's people who are five minutes slower in a mile in the pool and they suddenly they pass you in, in open water swimming. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it oftentimes has to do with, with swimming in a straight line that can be trained. Uh, it oftentimes has to do with these, with, with stress situations where, you know, mm -hmm. then you feel a little bit restricted here and, and, and then it's, then it's, uh, something new, um, and you feel uncomfortable. The water is dark. You, you don't see anything, uh, down there. Yeah. So, so I think all these, these are, these are little factors that, that can be trained if you are continuously 
every single week. And I think once a week in open water would be absolutely fine uh, for for having a great season or have, or or getting adapted to uh, open water swimming. Um, you know, and then once you're in there, the, every one, once a week, it's about swim, trying to swim in a straight line, trying to swim, um, let's say, off the feet of somebody else, trying to swim in a close pack uh, where you know you use a bit of elbows left and right because it happens in, in <laughs> yeah. reality. So why not why not train it a bit uh, without killing yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah, I always say that in, at the swim nights here. I always say, look, this is not a race, so be gentle to each other, and and still people come out and they have like you know they're missing eyes. their goggles <laughs> yeah missing goggles and stuff like that yeah. um but it's it's really about consistency um and continuity that's that's my that's my number one ad advice for for open water swimming plus you know it, i think if the pandemic did anything good um you know people are are swimming more open water because they were forced to swim open water mm -hmm. because the pools were closed and now you know we see an an unbelievable demand for for neoprene swimming caps, for neoprene gloves, for neoprene uh, socks. Mm -hmm. So it tells us, uh, you know, people are going in the water when the water is 10, 12, 13 Celsius. Um, mm -hmm. Don't know what that translates to in Fahrenheit, but no, we're Canadians. Uh, we we speak Celsius. Oh. You're 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 on the metric system in this podcast. Good, you're, good, 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 you're in good, good. You're in good hands, Jan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, and and for I, our, sorry, sorry to interrupt for our American listeners who who do make up the bulk of our listening audience. That's uh, so. I think thirteen uh, is around uh, fifty-five, if I'm not mistaken. So, so right around in the in the fifty degree fifty Fahrenheit water, which is chilly. I'm sure the the Californians can relate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah they have it rough. Huh? <laughs> but you know what I really like about that advice is that it's. Um, I'm always skeptical as a as a coach and kind of a, a you know I try to think of myself as an evidence led human in general when when people tell me it's like oh there's this one thing that you have never tried before that's going to change your life right and you know that always gets my my bullshit detector up but when people tell me oh you just got to do you know you got to analyze the situation and see what's what the differences are and I'm just you know parroting back what you just said to us what the differences are in open water swimming versus pool swimming you know you you, you mentioned sighting you mentioned well you were talking about Kona the 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 wave conditions, water conditions, swimming in a pack, learning how to draft, um, being comfortable with not being, not seeing the bottom, you know, comfortable with race start dynamics. Those are, you know, if you think about it, those are obvious differences between the one and the other. And I, I could not agree with you more. The best way to overcome those for the vast majority of people is just familiarization and just becoming comfortable with that, with that sensation. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, as, as your, your advice, you know, you're not, you're not splitting any atoms over here by telling us this kind of stuff, but I think that's what people need to hear that it's not, it's not magic. It's just, uh, putting in the work in this new, uh, you know, otherwise unfamiliar environment consistently. Yeah. So I think that's spot on. And, and I fully agree. It's it's definitely not magic, um, but oftentimes, and I think we all all know this. Oftentimes, you just have to hear it one more time. Yeah, from, probably from, from somebody who might might know it a bit, and then and then you're like, oh yeah, right. You know, I should. Uh, you know, if I hear it once a year, then I remember it, and then you hear <laughs> it again next year. Uh, but it it fades away, right? Uh, it does. It does. Kind of just like your your open water swim fitness. Yeah, I know for myself, and I, I you know I I always laugh at myself because I I'm one of those athletes who doesn't swim like i basically start swimming three weeks before the race and i don't race very much because i have kids now but uh the it always it's always terrible the first few swims they're always like completely awful and then but i remember back when well before i had kids when i actually did i did what you just said i swam consistently every single week open water and those were my best swims and there's no there's no surprise there i'm fitter now than i was then but i had way more experience and exposure to that environment than i do now and that uh you know it shows in my swim times and it and and the open water swim form, if I may call it, it comes very quickly. It comes after after three weeks. You're almost, uh, let's say three open water swims. You're already so much better than, mm -hmm. than after the first one. So uh, it's it's not something that takes forever to uh, to uh, yeah get ready for. I, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, pivot again and talk about wetsuits. And so um, give us a little bit of background on on Sailfish as well. Uh, obviously, this is the company that you founded. Um, and what you know, why did you decide to make another wetsuit company? Because even in 2007, when you launched the company, there were, you know, there were no shortage of other wetsuit brands out there. What made you uh, feel like there was there was something missing in the market that you that you needed to uh, fill? 
Well, you know, I was uh, obviously doing triathlons before that, so I you know mm -hmm. naturally I swam in in other brands as well. And um, but what I what I felt was um, that there you know there would be certainly really good suits out there um and then there would be entry-level suits out there that sometimes you would be like whoa you know why would you leave, let, let anybody wear a suit like that like so <laughs> stiff and so so bad so so i think my approach was really to to make the top end suits um better in a degree where i say okay let's lose the very latest uh, technology mm -hmm. uh, let's use a little bit more panels here and there um to make the fit even better to make it fit more comfortable but then at the same time and i think this is where where yeah where we kind of um come in at sailfish i said look why don't we try to really make the best wetsuit at a certain price point mm -hmm. um, possible and also let's make suits for really targeted groups let's say okay we need we really need a suit with a lot of buoyancy for all those of you who are sitting at the computer every day and the <laughs> hip flexors are a little short and you're cycling too much and you played soccer in your youth huh? yeah. uh, so let's have a suit for those let's have a suit for for or let's say who, people who grew up swimming like, like me who like to really be uh, very close to the water have a, like a, have a really pure feeling for the water mm -hmm. so make the, the suit a bit thinner make it even more flexible uh, and so on and so forth so so i think each one of our suits is telling a very unique story and it's designed to a very unique uh, kind of uh, swimmer type and then uh, placing that at the relevant price points um yeah i think that's that's um, that's our philosophy in short okay no that's great so in the look what has it been 15 years since uh since the company started uh it sounds weird saying that 2007 it sounds like it ages but you know, <laughs> right it's, it's been so fast. Uh, <laughs> uh in the in the 15 years since you started what has changed uh in in wetsuit technology what have you seen in the marketplace You've seen more and more uh, specialization, um, differentiation between between the models. Um, from a pure raw material perspective, um, and, and I mean, a lot of brands are using Yamamoto rubber. I don't think that's a that's a mm -hmm. that's a secret. Um, but I think where the let's say the secrets come in is more the inner liner, the inner material. Okay. So the inner material is actually the defining material for the flexibility of of a suit because. You can pretty much elongate um, uh, neoprene rubber by 500% or 600% and it doesn't, it doesn't break or it doesn't tear. But um, the inner liner is kind of like the limiting factor. So, um, and that's really where, where uh, the differentiation comes in. Uh, of course, you don't see it, right? Uh, yeah, you, yeah. You, you can feel it to a certain degree. Um, and then there, you know, you have nylon in our inner liner, you have polyester inner liner with different, uh, different way of, uh, you know, how they, uh, what they do. Um, so, you know, we, we've, I've seen a lot of experimenting. Um, I, you know what what we what I tried in the first three or four years of the brand was I really really focused on 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 the fit on the on the pattern. Okay. Um, because because uh, we have like a three um, uh, dimensional or anatomical fit. So even when when no when you just hang the suit up, it looks like already it's like a body. Mm. Whereas okay. you know you, you also see a lot of suits that are just hanging straight down just and. Flat, and yeah just flat exactly yeah, yeah so so that's something that i focused on in in let's say the first um part of the brand uh, evolution and then i think in the in the second part of the evolution i focused more on the story of each single suit okay uh, to to really specialize that for what i said earlier okay this this person needs buoyancy this person needs more flexibility this person is purely por for comfort um uh, and around on around a kind of suit and i think over the past three or four years or even this generation now that they were just launched it's about the the, the tiny little things to optimize the suit uh, and um you know i see i see uh, a lot of stuff happening a lot of stuff being being tried out but at the end of the day and i, I again i also firmly believe in that it's not magic but um the the first and foremost 
rule or, or, or factor, and that's across all wetsuit brands is, you know, if you, whatever you buy, whatever you swim in, the, num the number one reason is, or the number one uh, kind of like importance is that you feel comfortable. For sure. And For sure. Uh, because that, you know, what help, what does it help to you if, if it's like amazingly flexible or that and that and that, but you don't feel comfortable in it. And then it's only half the fun. Uh, totally. And so... So that's really that's really what we want to get what we want to get right that that the customer feels comfortable in in the suit. So let's zero in on uh, on fit and comfort because they obviously they go hand in hand very much. Um, so you know anyone who's participated in or watched a triathlon has seen uh, all sorts of individuals racing, right? So there's all sorts of body types and shapes and sizes and weights. And, uh, you know, you're obviously not making, this is, you know, the, you know, reducto ad absurdum of me saying this, you're not making a wetsuit for each individual participant in the race. You're not doing like a 3d scan of the person and custom sewing them a, a, a piece of kit. So how do you think about, you know, making, what is it that Sailfish does that is, you know, interesting or unique around fitting people? And especially since, as you stated, this was a big priority for you to get right as a company, given that there are just so many different, you know, humans out there that compete in triathlons. So I think, you know, what varies most uh, is usually the, is usually the circumference in, uh, in the torso okay. uh, and, and in the hips and in the upper body. So I think what, what, uh, what that means or what that translates to, number one, you, you, you need to have, I think, a lot of different sizes. Uh, mm -hmm. So in order to, to, offer, to offer a wide size range, so that helps already. And then also within the suit, um, uh, what I spoke about earlier, the inner materials. So all the inner material in the torso area is usually on, on certain parts extremely flexible mm -hmm. so that it allows for, let's say, you gain and you lose a, a couple of pounds here and there or kilograms. Um, but at the same time, um, you, want, you want the suit, especially on the, let's say, on the, on the side of the body, you want to have it a little bit more rigid and a little bit more stable okay. so that you don't have these, these fishtail uh, swimming uh, sort of things. Um, and it's really the, the panel, the panel alignment and how the panels are, are, uh, built into the suit, um, that they give you flexibility at the right areas, but stability in, in, in other areas where you need st stability. Mm -hmm. And that's an, that's a, that's a long process. And I, and, and I've always, um, approached that process, uh, you know, say by trial and error, but by a lot of testing. So I, you know, every single suit that that we sell, you know, I test many, many times, and usually it takes about a year, year and a half until we, from a first prototype to to the final suit, um, uh, that it, that it takes, and and that's really a, a lot of um, subjective data uh, that that goes in there, um, and I also try to step away from okay Jan you, you're a good swimmer mm -hmm. but how would it be if I don't swim well so you know yeah, you, most I mean, of your customers are not good swimmers I'll tell you that exactly. right now 100% <laughs> certain of that exactly exactly and and so you know you actually you actually let's say you fake the mistakes that not the not so good swimmers make mm -hmm. and you see and you're like okay if I don't kick at all now or if I pull pull uh, my legs up a little bit so that's how it feels when 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 the positioning in the water is really crap uh, mm -hmm. it, it, does the suit still feel okay to swim in it where does it you know how does it feel buoyancy wise is it buoyant is it more top buoyancy is it more uh, buoyancy on the legs mm -hmm. and that's a that's a fine process that i think it's very very hard to to make it objective uh and to to approach it from a scientific point of view mm -hmm. it's it, i think it is it, it really it's it's the thousands of hours of swimming that give you the, the best feedback. That's a really good point. So um, I have more more questions about fit, but well, I just want to touch on this really, really quickly. Is that it's very difficult to do this objectively because there's just so much difference between different people and their swim strokes. It's like, it's like, uh, I would say it's even harder than in running. We just had, we just published an episode um, with uh, Dr. Will O'Connor from New Zealand who spoke about using running power meters. And so I'll keep this, I'll keep this digression brief, but uh, we were talking about how can you use this very objective 
measurement um, technique, let's say, with people who have very different run forms, right? And people run differently. But as differently as people run, there is probably even a much broader you know, spread of how people swim between like good bike, swimmers bike. and not good swimmers. Whereas like the simplest thing is the bike. The bike is like everyone pedals a circle, right? Uh, yeah. that, everyone does that. The run is more complicated. Swimming is even more complicated. So how do you do... Um, yeah, I'm just starting to think about how complicated it would be to do uh, to to test objectively um, with uh, with given given that you're designing a product that you yeah for for such a such a wide degree of humanity. When I sometimes read tests in magazines or or online and and the way they try to uh, to make it objective, it, it I haven't found a single one yet that that I could truly say okay, this is a really objective. Uh, comparison mm -hmm. but um you know what i will tell you is uh, especially when it comes to fit you know you there's you, you can buy the perfect wetsuit for you and the perfect size for you and if you don't put it on the right way you, you're not going to have much fun that's a great point yeah uh, you know it, it and it starts with with uh, with a, with with a crouch it starts it, it ends with the shoulders uh there, you know it's it's um it, it, there's so many things you can do wrong so i always tell people look you know just just go on youtube and you know every every major brand has a video out there and they're usually not that far uh, apart uh on 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 how to put on the wetsuit properly mm -hmm. and then you go to i mean even we, to at the, at the bigger races that we sponsor we actually go to the swim start with one or two uh employees and we help people you know <laughs> to get to fit their wetsuit perfectly and they are like oh, wow awesome. you know this is like uh this is a great service yeah i said you know, I, I, if i sell you a six seven eight hundred dollar suit and then you put it on wrong and uh yeah but, but it's then it's not my fault right <laughs> uh, so so the education part is is um is a huge uh, a huge part in in your swim experience with a wetsuit that's really excellent advice. And that's where I was going to go after we were talking about fit. So uh, knowing that there's so many, you know, so many different shapes and sizes of, of people who compete um, with the prevalence of direct to consumer suits, right? So I can go right now on your website and I can order a suit without ever having tried it on. So this, this, especially with, with wetsuits, and this is something that I I've worked in, in triathlon stores where I've helped people put on wetsuits. So I have some idea of how they ought to fit. Um, but when people ask me, you know, say somebody that I'm coaching, they'll, they'll something, oh, there's a great sale on brand X's website. What wetsuit should I buy? What size should I buy? And I say, I don't have a frigging clue because I would really need to, for me to be comfortable with tell, giving you that kind of advice, I would want to see you in the wetsuit and do these kind of three tests or four tests to see, you know, how does it feel? Does it fit right? So what is your advice to the person who is buying a wetsuit online, unless, you know, and assuming they haven't already swam in that exact same brand, yeah, that exact yeah. same style before where they know exactly they're, you know, a medium tall or something like that? Well, the good news for, for everybody out there is, um, as, I, as I said earlier, the suit is to a certain degree, it's a bit forgiving. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't get it 100% right, uh, usually I would say the suit forgives you plus minus four to five kilograms in, 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 okay. in body weight. Okay. But, but you, already, you already heard me, I'm, I'm more focusing on weight than height. Mm, interesting. Uh, okay. And that's actually that's actually the advice I would give. Um, you know, if you're uncertain about about the size on a size chart um, that that you find online, then uh, put a little bit more emphasis on weight um, than than on height, because it doesn't really matter whether you know whether you, it doesn't cover your angles or it doesn't cover uh, your your arms fully if you're missing a few centimeters there. Mm -hmm. But it does matter, you know, when uh, that, that that the torso is 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 fitted well right that's that's actually that's actually more important because if you're restrained in your in your in your upper in, a, in your upper body and you can't breathe well then it doesn't help you when the arms are long enough or, or the legs are long enough <laughs> so so um, I would focus on that first um, in, in 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 Europe we we uh, usually when we get an online order we double check with the customer so we don't ship it right away Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we usually ask the customer one more time, uh, what is your height? What is your weight? Just to, to double check for us. You can voluntarily put that in on the website already, uh, or you can, you can ask us before. And, uh, that's actually something that we want to take to the, to the U S as well. 
just for yeah peace of mind that you got the right suit. And obviously, you have a, a fourteen to thirty day uh, return period uh, to to exchange a suit. I'm I'm the I'm the the uh, what's what's the what's the expression? I am the exception that that breaks the rule, or I don't know. Well, I, have, I should look that up how to say it properly. But I'm an exception to that rule, and um, so here's why. So my body type is I have big legs, so I've got like my you know I'm built sort of like a you know like a cyclist. Like I've got big big quads and a big butt and like big calves and by if i go by weight i size way up so i've been i've been actually fitting wetsuits that are for people that are like five to seven kilograms lighter than me and those fit me because i well let's say when i was before my like dad body right before i actually gained all the weight in my midsection because almost so much of my weight was in my was in my legs that if I bought a wetsuit and I've tried these on, cause I, like I said, I used to work in a triathlon store. I tried on all the different sizes just for fun. And the ones that were the correct weight were way too loose on me because my torso is also, I also have long legs and a fairly short torso. So I had way too much, you know, way too much of a, and this podcast, the so listeners can't see me tugging at my collar, but I had way too much slack around my neck. So I would, it would turn into a scoop when I tried to swim in the, in the correct wetsuit. So I was the rare exception. I would have to size down a wetsuit because of how much weight I carry in my legs and because my legs were relatively long so i was the guy who where the wetsuit just came up to my calves like my i had a lot of lower leg exposed which to your point is well no big deal um but um that that's what i had to do but i think i think you're spot on the the, the, i'm the exception and not the rule in that one and i'll be honest with you um you know i think uh, all the brands in the wetsuit market are are you know known for a certain sort of fit i would say mm, and okay. i would i would claim okay i would claim we can at sailfish i think we 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 can claim 95 97% of the people uh in a in a good to great fit hmm. but there is there is two, three, four percent uh, where that of of, of uh, athletes out there that that just won't fit into our fitting patterns. It's just the way it is, and I'll be a hundred percent honest. Not very, not very many, but every once in a while it happens, and it's the same with other brands uh, that have sure. a different fit fit pattern, and and they can't fit everyone. But uh, is there a perfect fit somewhere out there? I'm pretty sure there is. It's funny. I used to swim in a, in a blue 70, which fit me perfectly in, in a certain size. And then I switched. I, you know, I got a good deal online on, uh, to, a, to a Hue butt suit, which I, I really like. I mean, it's a great suit, but it's it doesn't fit me nearly as well as the blue 70 did. So maybe it's not as good for me personally. Um, so it's always, you know, it's, it's always good to... Uh, I think I'm just I'm always landing back to where I started. If you have the opportunity, listeners, if you're buying a new suit to try it on first uh, before buying it, that's always yeah, that's my that, those that, those are my two cents. But then, of course, if you have a generous return policy, then you can always, you know, buy it, try it at home. If it doesn't fit, send it back. Or uh, um, I guess we'll get to that in a, in a bit, but or later or you uh, you you come somewhere across the the three months US road trip and yeah. uh, you come swim with me. <laughs> what a good okay, what a good segue. So this is uh, <laughs> the last thing that we're going to talk about with Jan today uh, is the fact that um, you know, Sailfish uh, when uh, when you first reached out to me, Sailfish had been on my radar. So I I'd, I'd seen the brand, you know, from watching European races, from you know following certain athletes, but I've never seen it on sale in any any Canadian American stores. Uh, it's just not not a huge uh, presence in the North American market from my very you know kind of limited lens. Uh, and you're go- you're all about trying to fix that, aren't you, Jan? Tell us uh, tell us what you're up to in the next three months. Uh, exactly, exactly. So it's year fifteen of the brand. Um, one thing I must I must uh, say though, uh, we are available in Canada um, oh. at uh, La Boutique du Lac uh, in Montreal, I believe it is. Okay. Um, so we've been been available there for uh, for two years um, and headed in, uh, into our third year. Um, but um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I I managed or basically one of the, my big projects over the past five years was managing Patrick Lange um, mm-hmm. to two uh, Ironman World titles. And um, yeah, we we have um, we have ended our cooperation by the end of last year, and uh, so that gave me uh, some free time to focus on new projects and i've always had a look on the u.s market on the canadian market on the north american market and um yeah there are a bunch of factors um at the moment or that kind of like are aligned i i have a for three years now i have a very very good uh or excellent uh right hand here in the company 
uh, yeah, Dennis, who is who is running sort of the European operation at this point uh, on the sales and marketing side. So that gives me peace of mind to uh, to apply my my mind and my energy to uh, to new markets. And we are coming out with a new uh, with a new wetsuit range right now. Um, and usually the, the the product lifetime span is around, or that, let's say that the product cycle is about two years. Okay. So uh, that also adds in, and um, yeah, and we're gonna go. And so I said, look, uh, let's uh, focus on this new project. Um, we're taking sailfish to North America. We founded and incorporated a company in North America. We mm -hmm. now have a warehouse together with Pre uh, Precision Fuel and Hydration in uh, Portland. Right. Uh, nice cooperation going on there with, uh, with Andy Blow. And um, yeah, so I said, you know, what's the best way to learn about a market? It's really experience the market and not just uh, go in and, and, uh, and fly out two weeks later, but really really live the market and learn the market mm -hmm. and so uh i decided the best way to do it uh, would be to go on a on a road trip so i'm taking my girlfriend and we're going uh for three months uh all the way from the west coast san francisco all the way down to uh san diego over to st george for the world championships nice and then over to the east coast and um yeah, uh, all the way up from Washington to my old stomping grounds in Boston. Oh, that's awesome. And that's the way we were talking offline. I think I've, I've driven quite a bit of the United States. That's definitely the way to experience that country, similar to Canada, I suppose. Um, so I think, I, I, I totally think that's the right way to go. And uh, I, I get kind of my, you know, having my finger on the pulse a little bit of the scene, it's everyone's so eager to get back at it after the, you know, after the pandemic and uh, as races are filling up and uh, as, as people are becoming keen to, to do in-person events again, um, you know, there was some of it, some of it was live in the states in canada we were a little bit more risk averse so we weren't doing as many events last year but this year looks really good uh i think this is definitely the time to you know to get people excited about you know about stuff that you folks are offering i would hope so i would hope so please follow us yeah. yes absolutely so speaking of which how can people follow you and then and check out what it is you guys are doing and then maybe if they're if they're in the states um and if they're near your itinerary uh, route uh, that they can actually come and uh, come and experience the, the products for yourselves for themselves yeah, so um, number one is obviously the website, safefish.com, and uh, that'll get you to our uh, North American version in the US. Okay. Um, then you can see our product offerings, and uh, there's also a link to, to the roadshow itself. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be in St. George uh, for the Ironman World Championships. Um, Very cool. So uh, to, we'll, do, we'll do a couple of uh, promotional events there together with Craig Alexander, our brand ambassador. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, pretty, and pretty solid swimmer himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and and we're we're on the uh, social media channels. We're on on Facebook at Selfish uh, USA. Uh, we are on Instagram uh, Selfish US. Um, so that's where that's where you can find us, follow us, and uh, meet us. Hopefully. Oh, that's great. And of course, um, send me over the links and I'll, I'll put them in the show notes, uh, listeners, for you for you to check out and uh, meet Jan and uh, try out some of his stuff, as I said. So with that, Jan, thank you uh, for taking the time, uh, spending a little bit of, uh, of your valuable time with us. Uh, I know you've been uh, super busy, so I'm, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have this conversation and for you to, to share your experience and your understanding of the sport with, uh, with our listeners. Well, thanks for having me um, and anytime. And uh, yeah, again, hope to see many of you uh, in, the, in the coming three months ahead in, in the US somewhere. And um, yeah, have a great season. Let's get back into the sport. I'm super excited uh, that it's all coming back up and uh, let's have fun out there. Yeah, absolutely. That excitement is totally palpable. Uh, listeners, as always, thank you. Thank you very much for spending the time with us. Um, if you like the show, give us a rating and a review. Um, tell a friend as well, because that's probably the best way to share what you uh, what you learn at Endurance Innovation. And uh, if you're a, a true fan, consider supporting us on Patreon. And that's, of course, at patreon.com slash Endurance Innovation. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.